There's an imposter in the room when it comes to Pac-12 football. Which of the top four teams in the conference is an imposter? We'll tell you on today's episode. Plus, is Pac-12 officiating better or worse than it's been in recent years? John Wilner and I don't agree. I'm John Canzano, and we're glad that you're here for the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Wilner of Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com. And I'm John Canzano, and you can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. Wilner and I are going to disagree on Pac12 officiating. I just know it. Wilner, uh, let's talk about this. You know, we are talking about the officiating. Is it better now than it has been in years past? The same, worse? What's your thought? I think it is better. And it is the problem is that officiating is a nuanced situation here when you're talking about good versus bad, right? Because the, there's no group of fans in any conference that thinks they have good officials. And there's two, there's really two issues to me. One is, you know, the judgment calls, how do they deal with the def- defensive pass interference? How do they deal with targeting, you know, on the field calls? But the other piece that often is overlooked are the mechanics of officiating and communicating properly to the fans watching, to the sidelines, the operational aspects of it. And I think we should talk about both of those things because they're they're both, you know, have been problems for the Pac-12 in the past. But but generally speaking, I, I think it is significantly better uh, than it was three or four years ago and certainly many years before that. I, th- I feel like as long as we're talking about the officiating, it's still a problem. And a problem is a problem. Like your roof is leaking, it's leaking. And I feel like the, ro- the roof is leaking on officiating because, you know, you got four teams ranked in the top 15 of the AP poll. You have three undefeated teams in the conference, five others who only have one loss. You know, Oregon State, Washington State might be the best two unranked teams in America right now. But we're we're talking about Pac-12 officiating, and in Washington State fans are talking about it. Oregon State fans are talking about it. There was some some scuttlebutt about it in the Utah Arizona State game, and I think as long as that continues, then it is a problem. But let's get down. To, let's drill down on those two things. What are we talking about when you say you know here are, there are two facets, and some of it is nuanced? Get drill down on that. Well, I mean, a lot of what the Pac-12 has experienced in the past, I think, was me- problems with mechanics, which was you know. They're taking too long with instant replay. They are taking too long to communicate with the sidelines about what's going on. They're not telling the, giving the fans the, you know, the proper down and distance and explaining that it it's the speed and efficiency with which they are working with the replay booth and the on-field officials. And I think that that's improved a lot. There were times a few years ago where, you know, they would explain something and you didn't understand what they were talking about, or the instant replay was taking three or four minutes. Those things have all gotten, uh, have all improved, I think, uh, considerably. It's still, you know, there's still plenty of mistakes made, right? But, But people need to realize every conference has bad calls, right? And there is a range of call, of bad calls, right? The problem is when you get beyond the range of bad calls to the stuff that is egregious, like what happened Saturday in Pullman. I would say that that was egregious. 
like what happened in the Cal Notre Dame game with the off the phantom offside call on the on the uh, field goal that you know missed field goal turns into because of that bad call a touchdown for Notre Dame and they beat Cal by seven right that was a horrendous call the thing that happened in Pullman was bad bad enough that the Pac-12 had to apologize but if you judge if you judge officiating on how often the conference has to make a public apology or admission of an error, it has gotten a lot better. Last year, there was not a single instance where the Pac-12 had to issue a statement on Sunday or Monday saying, we screwed up and here's why we screwed up. And nothing got to that level of, of egregious call. And to me, that signifies things are getting better. Yeah, we're on pace for three or four, though, this season, if you think about if we, you know, if we want to extend that. But I was I, I got an email this morning and it was there, was there were 16 people on this email. It was one of those group emails that somebody sends out. I don't know why they included me. Uh, probably know why. But it was a bunch of former longtime Pac-10 and Pac-12 officials who were on this chain. It was guys like Walter Wolf and Verl Sorgan and Fred Gallagher and Matt Gilchrist and uh, and Bill Richardson, the retired instant replay supervisor, and one of them wrote, you know, quote, not a good week for all of our football officials, end quote. And then they started kind of joking about, hey, we want to return. We want to come back. What? And I'm not sure Pac-12 fans want that. those guys all back. They're all in their 70s and 80s now. But I think, I think we recognize that there's an issue here. And I think the Pac-12 probably is doing more to train their officials than they did in the past. But, you know, I reached out to the Pac-12 and I asked them, do you have – infrastructure? Do you have a pipeline? The Big 12 Conference uses the Mountain West and the Southland Conference to sort of funnel their officials through. And there's a comfort level with system and protocols and each other that is gained in those systems that the Pac-12 just doesn't have. The Pac-12 is trying to find, you know, a system and a pipeline. They told me, hey, we're still working on putting something together that creates, you know, some, some kind of protocol when a Pac-12 official leaves where are they drawing talent from? But as it stands, what I noticed was they were flying in officials that didn't live in the Pac-12 footprint. They were kind of piecemealing it together, and they weren't doing a good job of retaining their officials. I don't know if they need to pay them more, train them better, treat them better, but I think you need a pipeline in place before, you know, to if, if for nothing else, just to create some comfort between the officials as they work together and some comfort with the system. Because even in that Washington State-Oregon game, there was a moment where they had a breakdown of the replay process. They couldn't get communication on the field to the command center. The, the referee ended up on the phone with the command center. And, you know, there were a couple of calls in that game that, you know, were suspect. And I feel like there's a, there's a couple issues here. I agree with you that, you know, you know it, by and large, the officiating, probably the protocol is better and it's getting sewn up a little bit because they seem to be paying more attention to it. But the end result is you have a... I think it's an unforgivable offense when you forget a down. Like, you can't do that. And I just wonder how much of that is, did the official on the field think they were calling an NFL game with the intentional grounding and a loss of down? Did they forget where they were? Is this somebody who, you know, has not worked in the Pac-12? Did somebody just miscount? You know, whatever happened out there shouldn't have happened. And I just don't understand. And frankly, tell me, help me out with this one, Wilner. It's, it's first down. Cam Ward throws a pass. He's called for intentional grounding. It's now supposed to be second down, except they went to third down. And then, you know, Washington State punts. And then all of a sudden during the commercial break, they realize we have a mistake. They go back to third down. Why didn't they go back to second down? 
I'm not sure about that. I mean, they were right in that they you because Oregon had yet to snap the ball in its possession, they could go back. I mean, how often do you see going back and replay downs yeah. ever? I mean, never. But I don't know why they didn't give them go back all the way to second down. There could be something in the rule book that limits your ability to do that once the next play has snapped. I don't know. Uh, but it is interesting. Uh, the thing is, though, last sep- last September, Penn State Auburn, uh, SEC officials missed a down. SEC had to apologize last year. So again, it happens. I just don't think, and I, we should get into your point about the pipeline because I think that's a real interesting piece, right? Pac-12 has pipeline problems with defensive linemen and officials yes. right we could get we should get into that and whether some kind of national system works or the finances but i i think that if you look at the totality of power five officiating the last couple of years covid, COVID season's hard because pac-12 didn't play many games but last year and this year i'm not sure that the pac-12 has had any more egregious mistakes than the other power five leagues and it used to be that it had more, many more, right? I mean, we get the the whole thing with the instant replay review, right? That sparked this. I mean, the Pac-12 uh, with that disaster, the Washington State-USC game a few years ago, right? Pac-12 had a sweeping review of its officiating program with Simpson Consulting. One of the things that Simpson recommended was they had to improve the training and improve the pipeline. Uh, but I think that that is just a uh, an ongoing issue in terms of finding enough good officials. I mean, I don't know if it's as simple as paying them more or not. It may just be uh, uh, something that gets into the high school system. The Big 12 Conference uh, draws from the Mountain West and the Southland Conference. And it was, you know, 2019 season ended. Uh, and I got into this a little bit today at johnconzano.com. But the 2019 season ended and the Big 12 had four white hats who left the conference. That that was a massive blow. It was 42 years of, you know, cumulative experience that left. Three of them retired. The fourth official, Reggie Smith, went to the Big Ten. He lives in Pennsylvania, but he wanted to be closer to home. You know, we're talking about the summer of 2020 here. So you lose four referees. Greg Burks, who's the, PAC, who's the Big 12 supervisor of officials, I talked to him. He said, you know, he didn't stress because they have this consortium with the Mountain West and the Southland Conferences. He just turned to the Mountain West and said, give me the three highest graded officials from the Mountain West. And then the fourth official, he took Kevin Marr, who was working in the Pac-12 and had this terrific sterling reputation in the conference. Like He took one of the best officials from the Pac-12, and he took three from the Mountain West, and they kind of moved forward. The Pac-12 needs something like that. The Mountain West should be in in cahoots with the Pac-12, not the Big 12. Well, they, 12. Have, a, they yeah. have an officiating consortium for men's basketball with the Mountain West and other yeah. leagues. Yeah, they don't have it in football. They they told me they're working on it, and they got to fix that because it kind of dovetails with what you're saying. Like, look, maybe it's true that the officiating across the co- country is you know all about the same, and you know maybe the Pac-12 is just more willing to publicly acknowledge than some others. But it kind of fits with like you know maybe they're they're still paying for the sins of the Larry Scott era where people just didn't trust the conference. Go back to 2018 and that instant replay fiasco. I think. Some of that is still in the background. So, you know, here's what I think. I think they need a pipeline. I think they need to do a better job uh, retaining their own officials. And then I think they have some work to do with the public. And, you know, so why not get out on spring football day and do kind of a symposium with fans 
or maybe as part of the spring game, uh, have your officials come out and, and hold group settings with fans, take questions, connect with them. Because I think if the fans start to trust that the officials are in this, trying to get the calls right, doing their best, uh, and they see them on game day, maybe they're a little less inclined to go, you know, I don't trust the officiating. No, I think that's a great idea. A lot of this, though, you touched on it. Years and years of, I don't want to say it was neglect, but it was poor leadership, right? Under Larry Scott, the head of Pac-12 football was Woody Dixon, who was a general counsel, had had no playing experience. He was like a salary cap guy for the Kansas City Chiefs. He ran Pac-12 football for a long time. All of the problems, all of the, the mistakes with officiating, with other stuff, you can trace directly to Woody Dixon, a general counsel, and Larry Scott, who neither of those two guys, your top two people in charge of your football product, your most important product, neither of them had any background in it. And that the conference is still paying, I think, uh, for that for a decade, right? Merton Hanks, to me, has, you know, he started, it was tough. He started in September 2020, so it was a COVID year, right? But I think that, you know, they have made progress, but it's going to take to me, it's going to take even more time because the issues were so deep that had that had surfaced over so many years of neglect that it, it's just going to take them time. I don't think the officiating's necessarily better. Maybe some of those mechanics are, but I what I want is I want us to come out of what could have been a great weekend. Us everybody talking on Sunday about all the great teams, the strength of the conference. We should be talking about the football. And I found myself fielding inquiries about officiating. And yeah. I found myself thinking about, like, you know, if may, if they don't blow the call in the Washington State-Oregon game, the other stuff doesn't become no, newsworthy. And to me, it's the big ones like that. You just can't have that happen. You can't. But it, I'm. we'll see how long they can go before it happens again, right? I mean, one of those a year, that happens to every conference. Uh, it happened last year. Big 10 had a problem. Big 12, SEC, they all had problems. We'll see if the Pac-12 has any more this year. That will be very telling. Let's pivot to the strength of the conference, the football that we're talking about. You've got four teams in the top 15. We're going to talk about imposters coming up, but let's first talk about just that core strength of conference. It has been a better non-conference year for the Pac-12. There's no denying that. No denying, and it's easy to see why, I think. You know, Washington and USC are much better coached. And the quarterback play, I think, is is better across the board. Some of that's because the whole COVID hangover has been flushed out of the system. Uh, plus, you got some home games, right? Washington hosted Michigan State. Oregon hosted BYU, right? Too often, the Pac-12s playing these marquee games on the road, and a lot of times in SEC footprint. And getting some home games to me was big, and it has unquestionably, this is the best the top of the conference has been in terms of depth, you know, probably since the heydays of the, like, 2014 to 2016. We need some follow-through, though. I think this conference has got to have teams left standing at the end, and it has historically cannibalized itself. Uh, I'm kind of wondering, and we'll get to the imposters, who we think the imposters are at the top of the conference, but... Uh, for me, it's like, look, you got USC back, Lincoln Riley, you know, they are a national story, like it or not. You, UCLA and Chip Kelly, he's on a win streak that really is unprecedented at UCLA in his tenure. It's tainted by 
of course, the schedule. But Washington made a great hire in Kalen DeBoer. Dan Lanning's got Oregon going. Kyle Whittingham's doing Kyle Whittingham. He's just being who he is. I kind of feel like Oregon State and Washington State are carrying the water, though, when we talk about that top half of the conference because we are looking at, you know, it's it's a terrible year for Colorado. Stanford's still down. Arizona State fired their coach. Arizona's still trying to build back. If Oregon State and Washington State, you know, or- Washington State fell into Jake Dickert after Nick Rolovich. I mean, I can't think about how fortunate that was for Washington State. They probably upgraded from Nick Rolovich and getting Dickert, and they look good. And Oregon State and Jonathan Smith, Jonathan Smith's got it cooking. He just needs a quarterback. He needs a little more talent, and he needs a quarterback. And I think Oregon State all of a sudden is a contender in the Pac-12. But I, I feel like those two schools are kind of strengthening that. You know, when you talk about the top six or the top, top seven, that's, you know, without Oregon State and Washington State being back, I think it, it wouldn't quite be the same story. No, I agree. I mean, you got Washington State winning at Wisconsin and Oregon State beating Boise and Fresno. Those are good wins, right? Because you think about the – the reverse. What if the Oregon State's losing those games, right? Then, then the outlook or the perception changes a lot. And the big thing is, you know, this is the first time uh, since late in the 2016 season, the Pac-12 has had four teams in the top 15 of the AP poll. Only the SEC has more. The reason that matters is, well, one of the reasons it matters is the TV broadcast selections, right? Fox and ESPN, they look for games that for their best windows that have two ranked teams. You know, they're much more likely to pick number 12 against number 16 for a prime time window than they are number 23 against an unranked opponent. So the more teams that Pac-12 has with those high numbers next to them from the AP rankings, the more likely ESPN and Fox are to put Pac-12 games in good windows in October and November when the eyeballs are the, the when there's the most eyeballs on the sport. I think it's great for the conference that, that people will be talking about those ranked teams. Let's let's talk about that. Um, you know, we we are looking at four teams that are ranked in the top fifteen in the AP poll. I would argue Oregon State and Washington State should be in the top twenty five uh, based on their performances against those ranked teams. But let's talk about number six USC, number twelve Utah number 13, Oregon, number 15, Washington. Who is the imposter? Who's the pretender in that group in your mind? Well, I think first we ought to define imposter. Like, to me, it is not a team that's, you know, going to collapse. I look at it as maybe who's not going to be in that top 15, top 20 a month from now. You know, who's going to end up winning seven, eight games instead of maybe nine or ten? I still wonder about Washington, right? And uh, they've looked really good. But part of the reason I'm wondering is Michigan State just got flattened by Minnesota. So I do wonder a little bit, you know, are we putting, have we put too much stock into Washington's victory over the, the Spartans two weeks ago? Because maybe Michigan State's terrible. We don't know, but they might not be very good. So I want to see Washington, and we can get into the game Friday night a little bit later, but, you know, they haven't been on the road. UCLA could very well be their their toughest test by far. I'm still thinking the Huskies are, you know, I'm not convinced that they are going to be in the top 15, top 20 by early November. Bruce Barnum, the Portland State coach, played Washington in week two. He said, and I thought he was sandbagging, that he felt like, you know, he says there's two tiers to Power 5 conference football. There's the Power 5 teams and then there's the Power 5 contenders. 
He saw Washington on film. He said they're a contender. After the game, he said, I'm telling you, they're legit. He said, we got a good look at everybody but their punter in that game. That was Barnum. Yeah. But, but I thought he was sandbagging a little bit. But I'm looking at Washington. I love the quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. I like them on defense. I think they were better than a 4-8 and team under Jimmy Lake a, a year ago. And, you know, the only thing they're missing is they don't have that running back that they've traditionally had back there that they can just hand the ball to and and let them go. So I, I, th- I think Washington is a contender. I think they will end up near the top of this conference. And... Frankly, some of it is their schedule, Wilner. Like they don't, they don't have to play USC. They don't have to play Utah. They skip them both, and yeah. I, I kind of think it's going to be fortunate for USC and Utah, not just Washington, because I think no. Washington's legit. No, that's true. And and the schedule misses this year because it's not divisions that are deciding who's in the conference championship game. It's the top two records or top two winning percentages. The misses are a much bigger deal this year than they ever have been. And SC misses Washington and Oregon and Washington misses SC and Utah. And that could end up being what gets the Huskies and Trojans into the championship game. Yeah. And you know, so you're going with Washington as your pretender. Yeah. How about you? I'm going with USC, you know, and it, I, I got a good look at USC on Saturday night in Corvallis, Oregon state led that game all the way until late in the fourth quarter. I, I happen to be sitting on the west side of Reeser Stadium. It's the new side where, you know, there's no seats yet. They just poured the concrete. 27,000 fans on the other side. I was, you know, in the press box on that west side. There's no fans. I saw Nick Aliotti, the Pac-12 uh, conference, uh, Pac-12 network analyst, and he, former D coordinator at Oregon, he's sitting down there uh, on the concrete steps. And so I walked down, I sat next to Aliotti in the third quarter. And I said, what do you think? He starts looking at USC and he says, you know, do you see anything special about what they're doing? Lincoln Riley's spreading people out four wide and five wide, but there's no motion uh, in his athletes at the wide receiver position. We all know that, you know, he brought in a bunch of receivers, but as good as they are, they weren't running by Oregon State's defensive backs. They just weren't. Like, they had to work really hard. I think Oregon State made Caleb Williams a little uncomfortable in the game. He looked very ordinary in this game. Uh, and then you talk about defensively. Um, I think if Oregon State were just better, got better quarterback play, they win this game. They they had four interceptions in the game, and they had a shot at the end to to beat USC. So I I came away thinking a little bit about Oregon State and how close they are to taking a step forward. They they need better quarterback player. They're not gonna they're not gonna do that. And then I I left thinking about USC. I don't think they're better than Washington. They're not better than Utah. They might not be better than Oregon State if they played again. So I think USC is an imposter. I, you know, and their schedule, you mentioned, they don't, you know, they get to skip some games. But I'm looking at October 15th. They're going to Rice Eccles Stadium at Utah. I got a hard time seeing USC winning that game. Well, and, and certainly the turnover situation with SC is worth watching, right? Four games. They have 14 takeaways, zero giveaways. So that is plus. Their turnover margin is 3.5 per game, which is off the charts, right? You have to figure that there's going to be some kind of reversion to the mean on that on that front. And then what's going to happen, right? If they start having one or two turnovers themselves, if they're not taking the ball away, they have been incredibly opportunistic. And you got to give them credit for that. But the rate that it's happening is, to me, unsustainable. So that'll be the big question is what happens if they are – minus one in a game against a good team on the turnover front. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, had they only been plus three, not plus four against Oregon State, I, I feel like Oregon State wins that game. But, yeah, you got to give them credit. They did some things to make Chance Nolan uncomfortable. But I didn't leave. I mean, I think Caleb Williams, Heisman, you know, hopes, you know, no, not happening. And, and you know, I don't like the makeup of USC's roster. And I think some of it is, you know, the criticism that people used to have about Oregon in particular, that the kids that they recruited loved the uniforms, loved the locker room, loved the amenities, and not necessarily weren't tough kids. I feel like USC's gonna, going through a little bit of that right now. I, I was watching the USC sideline when they were trailing in the game. Body language was bad. They were down one score. And they had a lot of guys that were, you know, didn't appear to be interested in the game, were sitting back. I'm sure they were thinking, why am I not playing? Why am I not in there? I'm not getting more reps. I just didn't like the body language on the USC sideline. So I think in the end, I think USC is is much improved under Lincoln Riley. But this team right now, this season, I think they're going to have multiple losses. And I think they will not finish in the top 15 at the end of the season. Well, even if they get to, you know, 9-3, and 10-2, and two, that's, you know, and they're like the fourth best team in the Pac-12. That's huge, right? That's the big thing is the is the depth at the top. We've gone years and years where there've either been one good team or no good teams. The Pac-12, you know, was basically out of the playoff hunt by October first. Right now, the plat the Pac-12 has got a couple of teams that could could make a, a real run at the playoffs. So it it doesn't necessarily matter. I I think the Pac-12, you know, just from a national branding standpoint, right? You're probably if you're if you're given uh, the conference office of, you know, asking them, you know, if you had your druthers, who do you want in the playoff hunt down the stretch? They're probably going to say they want SC, right? They're probably going to say they want Oregon or Washington. But as long as these big brands are playing well and are ranked, it's going to elevate the entire profile of the conference, right? I mean, Oregon State and Washington State, great co- great coaches. And, you know, they make the most of their players. They're good teams, but, you know, if you're the Pac-12, you know, in an ideal situation, you got SC playing meaningful games down the stretch. Just like if you're the Big Ten, you want Ohio State in that playoff race. And if you're the SEC, you want Alabama. So th- in that regard, the the first month of the season has unfolded very well for the conference with its, you know, its best known teams are, are ranked in the top 15. I'm John Wilner, Pac-12Hotline.com, Bay Area News Group. You should be reading John Wilner, really. So make sure that you are following him and reading him. Uh, for me, you can read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you, uh, go ahead and do that. But if you subscribe, you get it delivered to your email inbox in real time. You get it first, and it's there waiting for you at your convenience. We've got a big Friday night game coming up this week. Washington going to UCLA. Uh, Chip Kelly... And his team flew from Boulder back to Westwood on Saturday night after uh, beating Colorado. Then he he turned around and practiced on Sunday and did it in the evening. He's 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 such a body clock guy. He did it in the evening. He's preparing for a Friday night game as Washington goes to UCLA. I feel like this is a really important game to kind of identify. You know, a is Washington the imposter that you think they are or they or are they legit and by the way is UCLA any good we don't know they haven't played anybody we just don't know who they are even though they're 4 and 0 well somebody one of these teams is going to be 
you know, we're going to see the real deal with one of them, right? As, uh, UCLA has not played. South Alabama is the best team they've played, right? South Alabama's three and one. We took UCLA to the last minute in the Rose Bowl. That's the best team they've played by far. Meanwhile, Washington hasn't played a road game yet. So how are they going to respond? It's not like it, there's going to be this, you know, deafening crowd in the Rose Bowl on a Friday night, but uh, it still will be a different environment for the Huskies. So I, we're going to have a much better idea of both teams. And I think one of them by the end of the night, Friday is going to be, you know, we're going to think oh, that that team is not necessarily as good as we thought they were. We'll make our official picks on Thursday, but where are you leaning right now in Washington, UCLA? Good question. I haven't looked uh, closely at it, but I think the Huskies are like a three and a half point favorite, three, three and a half point favorite. Uh, I would I would probably pick UCLA and take those points. Uh, I think it's going to end up being a real close game. I don't know. I don't necessarily feel like I've got a, a lean toward who's going to win, but it, sh- it should be pretty darn close. You know, both teams are solid and, you know, both teams are going to they have good quarterbacks who can make plays, but they both want to want to run the ball. What do, what do you think? I, I really like Washington. I, ju- I just think until I see UCLA beat somebody that's credible, I you know I Washington to me has the better resume. Like what they're doing, love their quarterback. Uh, defensively, again, I'll go back. Like I think you know it's a four win team from a year ago. I I think it should have probably been like a seven or eight win team at least. And so I think they were better than than advertised. And I think, you know, as far as a rebuild is concerned, Kalen DeBoer stepped into a great situation. He got good players on defense, got to bring his quarterback that he was comfortable with. Um, I think think there's a potential here that Washington blows UCLA off the field. I think there's a potential for this there. Could be. And the thing is, I'm not, I mean, Washington has a better resume, but I'm not sure it's that much better. Because, again, Michigan State, got beat at home by Minnesota. Was it 34 to 7, 31 7? And it was they their only touchdown. Michigan State's only touchdown was with 17 seconds left in the game. They got shut out at home by Minnesota. So I'm not sure Washington's resume is better, but it's not that good. Stanford hasn't won uh, a conference game in a year. Kent State's, you know, okay. What Portland State uh it's not like the Huskies have gone out, uh, given what we now know about Michigan State. Uh, that That's what makes me wonder about Washington. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. I'm with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group, uh, at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. Wilner, uh, where else can people find you? They want to read your great content. We're uh, at media outlets, newspapers, websites throughout the Pac-12 footprint. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back later in the week. Take a look at uh, the week five games, maybe some other things going on off the field.